Tonight's show originally aired September 17th, 2020. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders. I'm Billy Palmer, and tonight it's Changing the Narrative, and we have something special for you. We have a partnership with the University of Utah's Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Office under the direction of Mary Ann Villarreal. You'll be hearing from her in just a moment. You'll find a coincidence in this partnership between the University of Utah and our Thursday night show, Changing the Narrative, in our names, Reframing the Conversation is a panel conversation being put on by EDI. And we are more than happy to take Reframing the Conversation and put it on our Thursday nights, Changing the Narrative. And there you have it. Yesterday, September 16th, was the latest of their series of conversations. And this one was on the subject of the rise of anti-Asian hate. And it centered on the rise of anti-Asian hate coinciding with the rise of COVID-19 and existing dynamics of othering affecting people of Asian descent in America. We'll bring that to you, but also, as usual, we'll do a little bit of our rallies and resources. In just a moment, we'll talk with Carol Shiflett, who is the creator of the Sojourner Women Group here in Salt Lake City. She has put together some webinars focusing on Black and Biracial Men's Initiative. And we'll be talking with Carol Shiflett really soon here about humanizing Black men in her webinars, but also we're going to do a little bit of rallies and resources. And since you're here, Carol, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I wanted to highlight one thing for our rallies and resources, and it's just kind of kismet that we're in the room together, Zoom room together, and Mm -hmm. and that is the Hope and Healing Gala uh, going on tomorrow. But I I saw just recently that you're uh, going to be a spotlight speaker at the gala. So uh, can we, can you help me with my rallies and resources really quick? And let's That's talk about your, really ex- yes, that uh, is just going to be so exciting. I was really happy that they called because, you know, they want to include black lives in their hope and healing gala, because it's very important that we include black lives. So I'm a featured speaker speaking about Sojourner. And one of the things that I'm going to be highlighting is the adultification of black girls, how professionals who engage with young black girls see them as more mature and older and engaging in more adult conversations. Therefore, they treat them as such. And we all saw the youngest uh, girl, six years old, being arrested by a police officer and taken out of her kindergarten class. So we're going to be talking about that as well. Well, that's a video that went viral uh, not too long ago. I haven't seen it. It will be shown tomorrow night. That gala, this year's virtual, so uh, we can all kind of yes. just go to it. So want to let people know the information on that. Well, you'll be a speaker at the Hope and Healing Gala 2020, and it's the Rape Recovery Center's gala. Each year that they do a fundraiser, there's going to be a number of things like uh, silent auctions, some... Um, some uh, grab bag uh, opportunities as the Hope and Healing Gala 2020 is tomorrow at 7 p.m. Uh, to 10 o'clock p.m. And you can go on and register by going to, excuse me, the Rape Recovery Center's uh, Facebook page or their website uh, or their Instagram, any one of those, and register and watch you, Carol, uh, speak. And I'm just really 
it's kind of it just feels really great that we get to both be in this particular yeah, moment kind of on this show highlighting that tomorrow it's just it, it's exciting. really a lucky thing that we're both part of that same uh thing so the gala is always amazing every year so let's check out what it's like uh tomorrow virtually at seven o'clock from the internets that you have at home all right, so that's our rallies and resources, uh, one of them. And then the other one we wanted to highlight is you have a webinar coming up tomorrow. Let's talk about that. I do. So before we talk about that, if you don't mind, uh -huh. I want to talk a little bit about the Sojourner Group um, so that people can understand our mission is about educating and uplifting the often ignored and unmet mental health needs of sexual and domestic violence victim survivors who identify as African-American or who identifies black or those who can identify with the historical context of being black in America. So in doing so, I think we have to bring men into this conversation because when you think about it, this ongoing assault of black men is abuse. It's another way of abuse. And when black men are affected, black women are affected, black families, black children, grandmothers and parents and families. So we have to keep that in mind. So I just wanted to get that out there uh -huh. um, to let you know, like the statistics, one in five women and one in seven men is affected by rape. And one in three women is a victim of intimate partner violence. So if for African-American women, over 18% of African-American women will be assaulted. And we don't address those issues. Uh -huh. But the reason I started the masculinity series was because of the murder of George Floyd. Let's right. just put it as simple as that. When I saw that, I said I had I was going to have a masculinity conference. And because of COVID-19, I wasn't able to do that. So I said, what we need to do, what I need to do is give men a platform. You know, I, need, I, what I yes. really love about what you're doing is is when you approach this, you're really thinking forward in a, in a very big way. And I think that um, when we talk about, and I think it's something we've been trying to do here at Radioactive, is when we talk about sexual assault, when we talk about uh, domestic abuse, hurt people hurt people. And when we stop and think about uh, those issues, we can start early on, on figuring out how we get rid of that notion of these ideas of masculinity that are so toxic to all of our, even the men, even all of us. Our masculinity is a health risk to men as well in hypertension and all of those other things because it all comes from trauma. So you've, you've been able to like sort of move in a way that you're looking at the trauma that we are all suffering and start to depict, start to change the narrative about how we address all that. So I have to tell you, I just really appreciate um, the way that you approach this whole conversation with the compassion and empathy that you do. So uh, what were you going to say? It, it hit hard, you know, when, when you saw that, you, I just you think of all the black men you know in America and you think of of what people well you know they found all reasons on why this happened you know he was this and he was that but no one deserves no one deserves to die like that but it seems to happen to black men more and more and more this is nothing new no we it's all not know that right we now do. we're just seeing it on television and so when I started this show I thought you know what we need to re-educate America to who black men are they need to know how black men maneuver spaces in American society. How do you define the spaces that you have to walk in and walk into 
in America. So what I did was I started calling men from around the United States and emailing and saying, I'd love to have you on a show so, so that we can talk about this. And it's been very good so far. We've had very good responses. We've had uh, pan, uh, people come on the show, uh, I'm sorry, to listen on the show. And they're just surprised at what they're hearing black men say. The first show we did seniors, and that was great. Some of the questions that I asked them, you know, basically is, tell me about yourself. Where did you grow up? What was your background? Who were the adults in your home? Who influenced your masculinity or your idea of masculinity? What did you learn about the role of women in your life and how, you, how you're supposed to treat women? And, and one of the big questions I like to ask is, do you feel that masculinity is a threat to mainstream society? I love and that's it. Been, that's been a good one. I've, and I've gotten both responses on that one. Yes, I do. And no, I don't, because I don't care about what they think about me. Carol, this is always, it's, anytime I talk with you, um, it, it's always a, a, an eye-opener for me. And honestly, you know, we're doing a Rallies and Resources a spot for your webinar coming up tomorrow. But I see the opportunity for Radioactive and especially our changing the narrative team to be able to feature some of the work that you're doing. And so I'd love to, to you know, I, I'm doing this on radio so that so that if you commit to it, you're kind of accountable to it. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. But I would really, I, you know, I think we need to, um, with the work you're doing and the work you're doing right here in Utah, um, I think we want to... Um, try to make sure that we have some partnership with what you're doing because these are some conversations that really need to take place and you're doing the work. So uh, we, we're hoping that we can sort of uh, broadcast some of this work that you're doing. Is that okay? Um, I, you know, we have it live right now on YouTube. Uh -huh. um, so what we're doing is um, we have a YouTube channel and you uh -huh. can email me to get the address for the YouTube channel. We are posting bits and pieces at a time. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how okay. we can... Um, I'll talk to my editor, and we'll see how we can move forward with you that. You got it. So, so we'll talk right. off air, and hopefully we can uh, help to feature yeah. Yeah. that with yeah. uh, the the radio waves as well here in, in Utah. But I really appreciate right. the work you're doing. We need men. We need men and boys. The youngest group of boys I had was 15-year-olds, uh, and it was amazing. And so we need that, but it's it's kind of challenging to get men to speak up and and openly share what they want to uh -huh. <laughs> to talk period well i am black and i am a male and you have me so i will definitely okay. commit to you will make the time <laughs> i will make the time i will make sure to uh be uh to be par a participant um and i think what you you're working do it on your show how about that let's we do it you <laughs> <laughs> i like it so uh our listeners are hearing us uh create a partnership right here on this spot. So, hey, this is how community organizing works, and we're a show for grassroots organizers and community builders. Always want to get men that are not in the same age group or that are not in um, the same state. I had a show with millennials, and that was another eye-opener. So what I like is having a diversity of men so uh -huh. that they can speak about how they feel. And in my first show, you know, some of the older men were saying, I don't understand all this killing. And then in my millennial show, they talked about how you went from the fists to you saw people go to the guns. And then in my show with the high school children, high school, high schoolers, you heard them talk about how they're very bold. Can I just say that? On uh, this next they're generation very, coming along? Yeah, they are very bold. They don't 
it's almost like a bold and arrogance, but you, you <laughs> got to admire them. I mean, it's different from the 60s. They're doing a lot better job on solidarity than we did. You know, they're yeah, doing a lot yeah. better on understanding uh, how to, to stand together and, and be equals. I think a lot better than our generation. So I'd like to see what happens for sure. I love it. So that sounds like a show that we need to do together. Okay. To talk. <laughs> you just keep getting me in these. Did we? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm telling you, when you're out here doing the work that you're doing, uh, you know, this it's something that's, uh, you know, can be shared and should be shared. And uh, KRCL is committed to uh, grassroots organizing. And, and the way that you're doing it, Carol, um, you're really on to something, I think. So we Thank can't wait to much. have you on the show more often. Uh, but let's get back to this this event. Let's give people the information on okay. uh, All right. tonight's show. Uh, originally aired September seventeenth, twenty twenty. Find masculinity. You can go to my website at www.thesojournergroup.org. Click on education and then click on uh, webinars. I believe it's webinars, workshops, and webinars. But we'll have everybody on the webinar. We'll have three gentlemen on the webinar talking about how spaces define their masculinity, where they grew up, and what was it like in your area as a Black man? What was it like um, in your household as a Black man and in your community as a Black man? Definitely sign up tomorrow and just listen. You will be amazed at what you don't know about Black men, at what you don't know, what you think you know, and what you don't know. (laughs) That is perfect for our Changing the Narrative on Thursdays. Thank you so much for doing what you do. And yeah, hopefully, okay. let's make sure we do a little quick plug for your YouTube channel because uh, you do some of this work you do put up on a YouTube uh, page. So let's t- tell me a little bit about that and then and let's get the, the, the handle for that. The webinars actually started in June and we are now putting them up on the Sojourner YouTube channel. You can go to the YouTube channel. If you like the address, just email me at sojournerwoman at gmail.com. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N-E-R woman, W-O-M-A-N at gmail.com. And of course, we're going to put a link for that YouTube channel. So if you're wanting to go to that YouTube channel, go to krcl.org. It'll be on tonight's show notes. I love it so much. Uh, We love to feature things like this on uh, Radioactive. So thank you so much for being part of our Changing the Narrative this particular Thursday. And we can't wait to do some work with you, Carol. That sounds like a great idea. You're going to commit me. Yep. Yep. I'm going to commit you on radio. So everybody heard it. I'll let you know. I'm, I'm hoping to do a women's series in October. Uh-huh. And then in March of 2021, uh, the Yukasa Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault is doing a conference. And they strongly believe in highlighting black women as well, because those are the voices that aren't heard. Right. Those are the voices that are ignored. So, yes, thank it, you very much. I love it. So thank you so much. And let's make sure that we are in touch so that we can highlight each one of those as they come along. How's that sound? All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Carol. That's Carol Shiflett of the Sojourner Group. Stick around for reframing the conversation from the University of Utah's equity, diversity, and inclusion right here on Changing the Narrative. You're listening to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9 FM. And this is a song called Togetherness by Mecca 83.
Tonight's show originally aired September 17th, 2020. You're listening to Radioactive that comes on Monday through Friday right here on KRCL. As I mentioned before, we have a great conversation, The Rise of Anti-Asian Hate, presented by Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. This was recorded on Wednesday, September 16th. The EDI office is run by the vice president of the University of Utah, Marianne Villarreal. And to introduce this panel conversation coming up in just a second, let's first hear from her as she frames for us what reframing the conversation is all about. We at EDI don't want to skip the many traditions that are vital to the university experience. And one of those experiences is one that we've created around reframing the conversation, where it's critical to be in conversation with our community faculty and staff leaders on what it means to be a student at the U. What we've watched, what we've experienced, what we have witnessed is that since the emergence of COVID-19 and since it was declared a worldwide pandemic by the World Health Organization, we have taken notice of the physical, mental, uh, and discrimination and violence against our Asian communities. To help combat this rising in hatred, uh, earlier this year, EDI and the university supported the national hashtag wash the hate social media campaign, which was designed to raise awareness about anti-Asian bigotry and the viral outbreak uh, that followed in social media. Along with the support of the campaign, we held an initial discussion with our Asian student organizations, ASA and VASA, to better understand the challenges of our students uh, of Asian descent and how best to support them. So this installment of Reframing the Conversation is actually part two of a dialogue that began earlier this year in support of our students and Wash the Hate campaign. I want to underscore that the university will not stand by idly or silently. And today's conversation with our Asian American community faculty and staff leaders uh, is not only about what we are witnessing, but the challenges that we have in front of us, as well as the action that we must take to protect and support our students. From the Office of Vice President, that's Marianne Villarreal, Director of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion at the University of Utah. You'll hear an introduction of all the panelists in the conversation, The Rise of Anti-Asian Hate. The moderator was Karen Cohn Yurimura, who is a psychologist at the U Counseling Center. She is a Gosi, or fifth-generation Japanese-American, whose interest in prejudice, discrimination, and inclusion, and exclusion, inclusion, acceptance, belonging, began in childhood upon realizing she was somehow different. Her bio reads her securitous path towards becoming a psychologist is filled with lived experiences that complement her formal study in the area of equity, diversity, and inclusion. She takes a mindful approach to life, paying particular attention to the interconnectedness of people to each other, the systems they live in, and ecosystem that provides a tenuous home to all. I'd like to welcome and thank all of you for joining today. Although I can't see all of your faces, it's just really gratifying to know that today's generation is so, so deeply invested in talking about and reframing conversations about hate and prejudice and discrimination. While that has been with us since before the founding of this country, despite the fact that people already lived in this country, but our society is 
really built upon a system of white supremacy that we just don't really question. And for good or for bad, COVID has really brought this all to light. And today, you're really lucky because we have a very diverse and exciting group of panelists who will introduce themselves in just a moment. Thank you, Karen. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, it is an honor to be here today. My name is Trisha Sugiyama. I use she, her, her pronouns, and I am the director of the Center for Ethnic Student Affairs. So I have been with the university um, and with equity, diversity, and inclusion um, going on 15 years now. So it is an honor to be here and to um, speak with this amazing group. Thank you. And Kent? Hi, I'm Kent Ono. I'm a professor in the Department of Communication. I've been on campus for eight years and um, I'm part of my research is actually on Asian American communication, especially media and film. So um, uh, it's great to be here and, and to, to hear what everyone has to say. Thank you. Feta? Thank you very much, Karen. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this broadcast. My name is Feta Petilos. I am a Filipina immigrant, so I'm fond of saying that I'm Filipina by birth and American by choice. I am a refugee from Wall Street who has called Utah my home for the past 15 years. I'm so excited and thankful to be included in this very important conversation, which I hope will spark very positive changes for our Asian American community. Hi, uh, Brian Shiazawa. Uh, I'm an emergency physician and I'm the Associate Vice President over Health Policy at University of Utah Health. And I've been here for a little over a year now and join you all from uh, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So thank you. Thank you and welcome to the U. Um, Lehua. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Lehua Kono. I use the she, her her pronouns, and I'm also the external vice president of the Asian American Student Association here on campus. And I'm very excited to have this opportunity to kind of get a student perspective on everything. I'm so glad that you're you're part of this. And Harjeet. Hi, everyone. My name is Harjeet Kaur. I am a first-generation Punjabi American. I immigrated here when I was three years old. I live in West Valley. Um, I just graduated from medical school, and I'm a first-year resident in psychiatry and I'm really thankful to be here. Thank you, thank you so much. And so as you can see, this is gonna be a really uh, fantastic panel today. Uh, okay, and so I was just thinking what I could do is throw out some of the questions that, that I have and people, as you feel comfortable or drawn to, to go ahead and respond, Please answer. In other words, it's pretty informal. We want to foster an environment to, to be able to converse about this. So one of the questions that I have for the panel is what are your observations of the progression of anti-Asian hatred and racism throughout the course of the coronavirus pandemic? Um, we know that anti-Asian sentiment has been around prior to this. Um, and so what are your observations? How has this personally impacted you? Karen, may I answer? Um, so, you know, I, I think most of us don't really go around always thinking I'm Asian American, right? But I think this has, the, the pandemic has heightened, you know, the fact that we are part of the Asian American community. Very specifically for me, 
every time I'm in Utah, it's a, the air is very dry and I cough, right? So I become very conscious of the fact that I am an Asian American in a pandemic and I'm coughing. So as I put on my mask and everything before, before I go out, you cannot imagine, I think I should be the biggest shareholder of Hulls or whatever menthol, menthol cough drops there are, you know, to suppress, you know, the dryness. It, it's just a, and it's a very uncomfortable feeling to have that focused on you. I'd like to just be able to go and, and, and live naturally, right? But, but I can't do that. This is an Asian face. And the fact that I exhibit those symptoms um, make me extremely uncomfortable in public. And that is something that's a very new experience for me. And I wonder if other people have those experiences as well. I, I'd also like to address this. I, you know, I think, you know, I try to, there's so much going on on my social media that I've tried to just, you know, pile on the dog photos and the videos about animals and things like that. But I think sprinkled in there is this increased number of reports and um, just kind of um, discussions around um, events that are ha discrimination, hate crimes that are happening to Asian Americans. And I think, you know, we're already in a heightened state. And so I think it really, I've had to dial back um, a lot of my social media because of just the anxiety it brings on and the just kind of the sadness, you know, with all of the um, emboldened behaviors and um, just kind of um, just people just being um, unkind, at the, you know, and um, bringing forth their already their prejudice going on right now. I'm actually doing a study with um, colleagues, Myra Washington, Uni Kim, Allison Chung, and uh, Vincent Pham, and we're, we're studying coronavirus and the way the media uh, portrayed Asian Americans and Asians um, after the beginning of it. And what we found is that there were hundreds of cases of hate crimes um, that were committed after, uh, right after, after this occurred, not unlike what happened after 9-11 um, for South Asian people and Middle Eastern people. But, um, you know, these, these events range um, from real brutality uh, such as on February 5th, 2020, a video posted to YouTube depicted an Asian woman running through a subway station before being attacked by a man who hit her in the head with his hands, feet, and then umbrella. He then called the woman who was wearing a face mask uh, a diseased bitch. Um, but I have so many other examples from our study of um, this kind of harassment, but also uh, violence and bodily harm. Uh, that that ha but but we don't really get a sense of that because the media doesn't report on that and doesn't pull the information together for us to be able to see that this is having um, uh, not only a national um, impact but a, a, a global impact on Asian peoples um, globally. And the only thing I'd add is that um, even though uh, you you might imagine that some of this these kinds of acts would happen right after the pandemic began. In fact, after um, uh, uh, the number of cases of COVID in China and Korea decreased, we still see and saw a tremendous numbers of acts of, of harass harassment, hate, and violence um, throughout, throughout the country and indeed the world.
Thank you. Do any of the other panelists want to share their perspectives on that particular? Um, so I think for me, uh, I, with my identities and the way I look, I'm not hate towards me, but I have noticed people that I'm really close to. In fact, I had a um, another one of my classmates, um, because we were still in medical school at that time, who um, was leaving the gym and um, they had, uh, you know, were the words, you're, you know, you're carrying the Chinese virus um, yelled at them. And I think um, it's really important to know that you know, these, this, uh, the portrayal in the media and like, I, like Trisha said, like in social media, seeing this again and again, um, it can be, uh, extremely, um, you know, it can be extremely hurtful. Um, and also these, these waves of anti-Asian American hate has, um, kind of ebbed and flowed and there's always going to be another group that is targeted, another group that is, um, looked upon, uh, you know, to put the responsibility on something external rather than um, internal and looking towards within ourselves and our communities. Um, I also wanted to say because of the way I look, um, a lot of uh, a lot of people in my family or even in my community um, have, you know, kind of adopted this anti-Asian hate within our Asian community. And I think that's a really, really important point to think about and know that um, there's also, there's this work also that we have to carry within ourselves. You know, thank you for bringing up that topic, Harjeet, because that was another um, question or just topic that I was interested in hearing your perspectives about. But as you do know, the category Asian American is, is a huge umbrella and a lot of other groups exist under it. And so prior to targeting this recent targeting of East Asian looking people, unintentional oppression may have occurred between the groups that are under the umbrella um, and often East Asians are seen as the model minority. So what are um, some of your thoughts on how anti-Asian racism impacts Asian Americans who are not phenotypically associated with COVID-19? And you know, from your perspective, how has anti-Asian racism divided and or brought the different subgroups together? And Harjeet, you just mentioned a really important point and about exactly that question that I have. Karen, um, I will all start with that um, conversation just because I left it off. But I also wanted to mention that, you know, that model minority myth, right? That doesn't save us. It doesn't keep us to be, from being protected. And I think that, um, you know, that was something I grew up with. I was like, oh, I am a part of a group that's always going to be celebrated and always going to, you know, get all these benefits, but it doesn't protect you. And I think that's, that's the conversation I have with my family that today you might be saying, you know, my extended family, they'll say, they'll be very particularly blunt and racist and they will say these things. And I'm saying today you're saying this, but what, what happens when, something happens to your particular family or your identities, you know? 
Um, the model minority myth is, is the model minority uh, stereotype is the number one stereotype against Asian Americans um, in this country. It's done tremendous damage to the Asian American community and to other communities um, as well. It's been used as a dividing wedge um, between Asian American and our African American, Latinx, Middle Eastern, um, indigenous uh, uh, allies. And it, it's, so rather than see uh, the common way that racial um, injustice and racial oppression occurs across all groups, it tends to try to promote this image that Asian Americans are somehow different, um, that Asian Americans are, are somehow not uh, experiencing ra racial oppression. And it's at times like this when it becomes really apparent the, how the subtle racism that Asian Americans experience on a daily basis, on an hourly basis within the United States comes to the forefront and we suddenly see dramatic instances of aggression, hatred, and, and harassment that then um, also the model minority image appears where it starts to say, oh, you know, you're a community that doesn't really suffer. You're a community that's not part of um, uh, white supremacy. Uh, and you're, you're not, um, uh, uh, you don't feel the kinds of pain that other minorities um, uh, feel. And I think that it makes it really, really difficult to have um, collaborative coalitional uh, political movements and, and responses uh, to support each other when the media constantly perpetuate this false notion of, of Asian American exceptionalism. You know, Ken, I think you're right. I talked to one of the uh, senators yesterday in the legislature who basically said that even though she's a woman of color, um, she didn't feel the strength or the bonding there because some of the other women of color, legislators of color looked at her and said, well, you're on the east side. So you really don't understand racial disparities on the west side and what the Latino or Hispanic community is going through. And so how can you appreciate what we're going through? And she said, well, wait a minute, you know, my I've experienced racism and, uh, you know, she recounted episodes where uh, her uh, father was interned, um, different things like that. But interestingly enough, that that, that does lead to um, some differences within the uh, minority community or the people of color in terms of, uh, if you will, addressing a, a problem. And I see in the chat box, you know, um, the good doctor is, is absolutely right. Uh, externalizing blame and calling it the China virus, for example, is, is a way to take, because really this pandemic's been awful for us in terms of economic hits and, and also to the loss of life. Um, you know, up at the U, we've lost, what, 38 patients so far this year. And these are real. Um, losses that we're experiencing, and we see them on a weekly basis here. And um, so there's, there are people who are desperate to find the blame, and, and so the China virus that our president has used um, to externalize this. And, he's, and, and in fact, yesterday, in a conversation we had with Mitt Romney, he basically said, you know, there's two problems, he says, I see with China. 
And he says, one is they were the source of, of the virus. And um, through the wet markets or whatever it was that, that's thought to be the origin. And then the second is that they are exporting their autocratic sorts of government. And uh, so this is a real problem with China and sort of focusing. And this is from a fellow who's, I think, is one of the more well-spoken uh, members of, of our Congress. So I think you're right in terms of um, looking at the Asian group. And I think the racism here is, is real, but it might be a little different in some ways, given what, what's been going on with the community. Yeah, that's a really, really excellent point. And um, as you did mention, whenever there's a panic, people want to be able to find a source like, oh, it's the China virus so that they could have a target to blame. And maybe that gives them a sense of control or whatnot. But coronavirus, all of this, there's it's so ambiguous. There's no control. There's no answers just yet. Um, I want to remind everybody that First of all, thank you so much for joining us. And if you do have questions or comments, put them into the chat so that everybody gets an opportunity to see them and we can answer them later. But um, yeah, so other panelists, what are your um, thoughts on the impact of anti-Asian racism on different phenotypically presenting Asians? Um, if I can speak from a student standpoint and a leadership standpoint. So within ASA, what we've been trying to do is to get rid of the divide between um, East Asian, Southeast Asians, um, and trying to reduce that divide because we are all Asian. We're all affected by this virus. Um, those who identify as Asian, we all feel like we're being attacked here. We hear about people getting attacked, being brutally um discriminized, all of that going on, and we're all angry about it. So we're coming together as a student group and we're trying to figure out ways that we can address it and as well as be allies for other issues that are going on within minority communities, such as Black Lives Matter. Um, we recently had a meeting on that uh, last week, actually, for our first meeting, where we talked about how Asians and Asian Americans can be allies for these our other minority brothers and sisters by recognizing our privilege, recognizing we all experience different types of oppression. And that's really important to recognize in order to um, strengthen those bonds so we are all able to address the problems going on with our um, communities, but as a minority group in general. And trying to be part of this entire community really is what we're also trying to do, right? At the Asian Chamber of Commerce and the Utah Asian Association to blend everyone together so that we can utilize um, basically all of our resources, resources to stand for ourselves. I think it's very important to note that, um, you know, Asian Americans in Utah comprise about 5,000 small businesses and bring in about a billion dollars in revenue. And we are also the highest, we have the highest growth in terms of, um, you know, um, ethnicities, right? So we are going, we have been part of, of the state of Utah. We're very much a part of the state of Utah. We're going to be even, a, we're going to be a bigger part of the state of Utah. So I think, you know, we shouldn't shy away 
from any of these controversial issues. Um, and also we are stereotypically thought of as being, you know, the, the silent folks, right? So I love the fact personally that we're having these conversations and really, you know, um, speaking out, you know, on a lot of these, uh, on a lot of these issues and standing up for ourselves. You all did address how there are some ideas and how we can foster greater solidarity within the the broad group, the broad umbrella of Asian Americans. And what have you noticed or what suggestions might you have in regards to what kind of seems to be a resurrection of, of racial triangulation? And by that, I mean exactly what one of you had mentioned. Other, I think it was Kent had mentioned other people of color, black, indigenous, and and whatnot. It, there's almost like a racial triangulation that has existed throughout history, thanks to um, the white supremacy. But anyway, what do you see as far as the sense of, um, uh, uh, trying to think of like some of the harmful stereotypes, for example, associated with being black, and they are American. And then some of the stereotypes of the model minority, i.e. I'm thinking like of the Harvard case that's going on right now uh, for Asians, but yet Asians are perpetual foreigners. I'm just really curious to, to know what some of your thoughts are on that. You know, I think it, it, it's really interesting that we, you know, we're often thought of as other right, never really part of the American, never really being part of, of, of this country. It's always kind of other. And I think we're the most likely to be told to go back home, you know? Uh, that has happened to me quite a few times, not necessarily during COVID, but you know, someone will just come up to me and say, why don't you go back home, you know? Um, again, it's that otherness because of the way we look and because of you know, because of who we are, right? Um, and I'm not quite sure um, how we can sort of reduce, you know, the feeling that we're not really part of this country, you know? Um, we can do the things that we do personally, we can be kind to others, we can, we can do all of those things, and yet I still feel that we're not thought of as really part of this group, you know, we're always the others and therefore, um, you know, subject to being humiliated because you're not part of, you know, the, the majority, right? Um, you're seen as more vulnerable and therefore people tend to pick on you um, because of that, because of that otherness. It, it, it's, it's really, you know, interesting and I'm very concerned, uh, I had mentioned earlier you know, before um, we went live that I have three fur babies and I have, you know, and I also have three nieces. And I think one of the things that we also have to talk about is how does this affect the children? You know, when they go to school, what happens there? In their daily interactions, what happens there? Because I think the, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the fact that COVID is known as the Kung flu, the China virus, we kind of, I think, 
you know, have, have rolled back some of the, um, some of the achievements that, that we've had in terms of, you know, diversity, right, and inclusion. So I'm, I'm, I'm worried about that. You know, what are we doing for our children? What are we doing to gird them against, you know, what is coming, to, coming at them, right? Um, I think sometimes as adults, maybe we're a little bit better off. Maybe, maybe we know how to deal with it a little bit better. But, you know, let's take a look at what's happening to the children and make sure that they are protected and that they are secure in their identity. Well, and, and as we do think of, um, because we're focusing a lot right now today on anti-Asian hatred, but how, for example, there's the, the huge pandemic of uh, anti-Black hatred, which has also been around. And so we have Black Lives Matter. And I'm just curious about how, what are some ideas on how we could foster greater solidarity with other groups we've been so compartmentalized and siloed and othered and yet we're all striving for this a similar goal karen i think that the whole uh, all these all these issues are connected right um we've been socialized to feel that we're other so we don't feel like we have power and and in that sense, then we don't have power. And then in that sense, we also are not able to connect with our other uh, other people of color, other black and indigenous folks, because we feel like, you know, we're a different group. We're something separate. But again, this is something that Dr. Ono already mentioned. This is a systemic thing. It's a systemic thing to make us separated so we do not come together. So when people ask me, how can we combat a anti-Asian hate, well, we should work for towards anti-Black racism. We should work towards, you know, all these other groups so that our, we all can progress together. And I know that this conversation is specifically uh, specific for anti-Asian hate and anti-Asian hate does not only exist in the COVID pandemic. There's a lot of um, people in um, a lot of people in like ICE detention centers that are um, Asian American as well. There are there's a lot of things that are that is happening currently towards anti-Asian Americans, but or uh, towards Asian Americans, but also towards Black folks, also towards Indigenous people. And I think the best way to combat it that is just work towards justice for everybody. What are some really concrete steps that, for example, those of us in student affairs or uh, community members, or how do we, how do, what, what are some concrete things that we can do to offer support? I, I think the best way to support is support one another. And this is coming back to what Trisha was saying. I think oftentimes we feel like we shouldn't talk about things because we're, you know, it, this maybe isn't impacting me or I don't feel X, Y, Z enough. But if we have conversations with um, people about our feelings and what we are uh, understanding, we can find people that connect with us. And then that helps um, us support one another. But also, like Dr. Ono said, um, find those commonalities and those similarities and then build upon that. That's something that has really like a pattern that I have recognized 
um, you know, kind of having these discussions and being open with my voice and talking about things that have really impacted me. So following up on the healthcare provider discrimination, have has there been a fear of Asian Americans as patients seeking to seek health care? I think the the simple answer is yes. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of communities that already don't seek um, care from healthcare providers due to trust issues or not wanting to go to the doctor, XYZ. But then this is it compounds it more. Um, I've heard a lot you know, in the communities I'm near and there's a large Asian American community in my neighborhood and people will say like, oh, we don't want the stigma that we have the virus. There's already so much hate against us. And so we don't want to go to the doctor. Um, And so, you know, these kind of things do happen where people aren't getting the proper care that they need because they're afraid. Um, Here's an, oh, go ahead, Tricia. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I think it's important to um, uh, recognize the mental health aspect of this as well, um, that not only is this a um, physical health and well-being issue, it's a mental health um, and well-being issue, especially with um, just increased anxiety that that comes with everything, so... That's why it is so fundamental um, for people to find support within communities like CESA, for example, is a wonderful resource for students. We have student advocates. There's just many resources on campus The um, and in the community. I know that there are some, would anybody like to state some of those so that uh, the audience can have more resources to to connect with after this talk. Well, I can definitely speak about um, SESA and our resources. Um, I think it's important to recognize that there are resources on campus. So um, for students and for cu- campus community, um, you know, we have several resource offices within EDI. Um, Karen is in the University Counseling Center. And so um, I would say, you know, stop in, have a conversation, even though um, right now we're talking about anti-Asian, you know, um, hate crimes and and hate and and just issues that are happening. um, This impacts, again, a whole of our lives. And so stop in um, because it's not a one shops, you know, it's not a one answer for everything. And so start to reach out to the the campus resources. So um, stop by any of the EDI resource centers. We have the LGBT resource center, SESA, we're both in the union, Um, the counseling centers in the student services building. So there are resources on campus that we can start connecting to some of these amazing individuals. that are both within our centers, but within our community. I don't know if that answered the question. Thank you, that's a really great answer. And you know, actually we are talking a lot about uh, resources directly for um, Asian Americans, but for example, people who are not directly impacted with anti-Asian racism or hatred, how there are so many things that are worrisome right now and so many other 
places to put energy. How do we help them overcome apathy towards towards this particular area? I think it's really just worth having the conversation with everyone that your voice needs to be heard. And if there's if there was ever a time to speak and act, it's now, right? And it's difficult because we're socially isolated. We should be all together in a room, but we're not. We're on Zoom. So it adds a certain level of complexity, but it almost comes down to a personal commitment to continue to speak, to continue to call out what's happening, and to make sure that everyone in your circle of influence does the same thing. And hopefully that will spark a greater conversation across the board. Because at the end of the day, if we continue to be silent, then we can't enact change. We can't spark change that way. So I think we all need to be committed as individuals and as part of of our particular groups to continue to move towards change and to continue to move towards positive change. Here's another question as far as resources for high school students. So um, ASA does a high school conference. Um, We try and do outreach with high school in Utah. Um, We do some outreach with other high schools across the state. So if they want to talk with me or anyone in ASA, we're more than welcome to kind of help them find resources and try and just be advocates for them because if they end up coming to the U, we want to continue to help support them regardless. Did any of the panelists seek a question on the chat that they feel particularly that draws their attention? I did. I saw a question about um, decolonizing our minds within our own communities, which I thought was a really um, insightful question. I think, you know, me being on this panel, I've, I both have been oppressed, but also have been the oppressor. And I think that internal reflection really allowed me to you know, connect with people. And there was also another question about how um, do we not become defensive when we get corrected? I think there's a lot of humility that all of us has to have to carry um, to know that there, you know, these, these conversations are very complicated. They're deeply connected and there's a reason for that. There's also a reason why, um, again, fighting for the a change of one group is actually fighting for the change of every group. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, as far as things go in my community, I always talk to my parents about, um, you know, I'm Punjabi and Sikh and we've also gone through a lot of state violence in India. And so I tie that connection to what's going on with Uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, and that kind of is a tie-in for me there. So I think starting out with your personal stories, your personal histories, and how how that is then played out into your communities that you're currently a part of really allows us to decolonize our mind um, and also know that a lot of the way that we think about things is like taught very broadly through um, large systems and knowing that we have to be critical of the information that we receive. And I hope that everyone here even questions everything that we are saying, because that's the only way we all can grow together. What are some other final 
words that panelists have as we're winding down on time? Um, I think someone asked how to be a good ally because I brought up that point. So I just kind of want to address that right now. So one thing that we realized in our meeting last week was that it really starts with recognizing your own biases and recognizing where those biases came from and how to try and change those and change your mindset. So really educating yourself. Obviously, there's so much media out there. So you want to take everything with a grain of salt and actually look into different resources and sources and all of that to make sure that you're learning what is the correct information and what is kind of biased um, based on, you know, whoever wrote it, like a white person writing about Asian American hate. Um, so that's one thing we suggested um, our members to do. I want to also bring up, I think someone also mentioned that silence just continues oppression. So talking about it is extremely important. Of course, people may not be comfortable with it, but in ASA, we're trying to make those conversations happen. So we're trying to have all of our officers be open and to any member or anyone who's not even a member to come to us um, with those questions so we can address those. And so that way they feel like it's a safe environment for them and they're not gonna get attacked. Thank you so much. Um, uh, You have all said some really important things and I totally agree. We have to look within ourselves and then share with the people that we know and love and correct them and just keep expanding out from there. So um, I wanna thank all of you and start getting ready to turn this back to, to Dr. Villarreal but thank you each of you for being part of this panel. Uh, I wanna extend my gratitude as well uh, to all of you. You know, we could continue this conversation, um, you know, out uh, in parking lots and, you know, on greens and such, uh, because there's so much, uh, you know, that's such a dynamic conversation and you all put on the table all of the pieces uh, that we have yet uh, to really um, unearth, uproot, uh, and rethink about who we want to be and imagine um, a community uh, that is one that is where everyone uh, can thrive in that space of who they are. Uh, again, thank you to our sponsor um, and colleagues and Office for Health Equity, Diversity and Inclusion uh, who help us make the vision of One You uh, with our colleagues in the School of Medicine a very real uh, vision. So um, with that, uh, if you've not visited diversity.utah.edu, I get a nickel every time I say that. Uh, We will pay for a party at the end of it. Um, Please do so. You'll find more information about what we're doing, how you can join us, and um, and both uh, in this work and in celebration of who we all are and what we do. Thank you very much. That's going to be our show. Thanks for tuning in on Thursdays, Changing the Narrative, and listening to our partnership with the University of Utah's Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion and their series called Reframing the Conversation. Radioactive is a production of Listeners Community Radio of Utah. Thank you to Natalie Benoit, who helps with the post-production of the show. Executive producer is Laura Jones. I'm Billy Palmer, associate producer. Tune in for The Punk Rock Farmer and Laura Jones tomorrow night.